Hello and welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. And I am Mandy. And what are what what are we what are we what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What's the point of this? I don't know. You've trapped me here. Please, someone help me. We're in a very small, confined box. Um, I want to say it's about five foot by five foot by five foot. It's actually just a cube of steel. Okay. Um, we now. I did. I want to stress. I did not put us in here. I. I now. I did build the the steel structure around us. Um, but someone else was in charge of putting a door on the side of the structure, and that wasn't me. Yeah. You didn't. You, uh, you paid him too late. Yeah, and some, some sometimes a check just bounces, and that's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm broke. And now we're trapped here. What are we? What are we doing here? Well, we've decided to occupy our time in this this small cube with a rapidly diminishing oxygen supply, watching the '90s sitcom The Nanny. Why? Why have Why have we chosen to do that? Um, because we've just been watching, or I've been watching a lot of na- of The Nanny, and you have been forced to watch it with me. But you've found that you have enjoyed. I've been it's well it's interesting because I suppose we should just kind of talk about our history with the show and I think I'll start because I've already started so when the nanny was on in the UK it aired on I think it was on Sky One and my sister loved that show and so it was when it was on it was on like I it was on that's what we're watching so we're watching the nanny and I remember not hating it but I don't remember having any like particularly strong emotions about it but you've been watching the nanny a lot because you found is it cozy was broadcasting yes. it yeah uh, it was cozy tv which now by the time that people will be hearing this it will be streaming on hbo max i'm very excited about because i yes. don't have to watch it on cozy because then i don't have to watch my pillow commercials anymore you know more i don't have to watch the my pillow guy anymore yeah we don't want to look at him we don't want to have to acknowledge his, his existence he does look like the villain from every Disney animated feature from about 1979 through to 1986. Yeah. Anyway, so my history with the nanny, it was always just something that was playing uh, during the, when I was in elementary school, we didn't have cable, so it was whatever was on TV. And get the brief period where there would be like after school cartoons, and then those would stop and it would just be whatever sitcoms were in syndication. And this would be one of them that would be playing probably about like 4 or 5 p.m. And I remember really enjoying it and it always being something like, particularly like the clothing and it being very vibrant. Yes. And it was something that I had never really seen before. But I also remember it was something that I was kind of embarrassed to, like I didn't want my parents to catch me watching it Hmm. because it wasn't even something like, oh, this is like a lewd show or anything like that. I think it was partly that it was a romantic show and I didn't want to get teased for that. It, I don't, I had no reason to expect that my parents would tease me, but I had a, a, a lot of anxieties that <laughs> I would get teased somehow for watching a lot of The Nanny. Your brain imagined how your parents would react and then that was where the anxiety came yes. from. Yes. So I was kind of like secretly a fan of The Nanny. And then in the past few years, I've kind of accepted like, no, it's just, it's just good. And particularly like we've been doing a rewatch of it just 
on TV, and then uh, for Valentine's, you actually bought me. Yes. You bought me the nanny on DVD. Uh, yep. Shout Factory put out a box set with all six seasons. I got it for you for Valentine's Day, and then almost immediately afterwards, HBO Max announced that they would be getting the whole show, which is exactly what happened. I got you Batman Beyond on Blu-ray for Christmas, yeah. and as it was shipping, HBO, HBO. Max announced <laughs> that they would be having an HD remaster of Batman. It's anno- I'm not gonna lie, a little bit annoying. Um, because th- I could have saved so much. Who <laughs> I don't need to buy you things when HBO Max is apparently buying the things for me. Yeah, it's why a- would I spend that money? Yeah, I mean, it does go to show that they're just picking things exclusively for for Mandy. It's and- what is happening is they're looking at my, my Amazon recent purchases. So if I want something to start streaming on HBO Max, I need to buy the Blu-rays from Amazon because of its streaming and us doing our rewatch, like. When we were doing our rewatch, you were noticing a lot of the writing of it that you really yeah. appreciated and would be something that we would talk about. And that gave us the idea of wanting to talk about it further. And it's even better with the streaming. And we hope that people are able to like watch along with us and keep up with these episodes and yeah. follow along as we enjoy the nanny. Yeah, I want to stress that we decided to... D- I want to stress... Wow, I have hit reverse puberty. Finally, it's taken so many years, but we're finally there. I want to stress, we decided to do a Nanny Rewatch podcast because we were having so many interesting conversations about the Nanny while we were watching it. And then HBO Max, with their probes dug into my little brain, that's when the uh, the, the announcement was made. The yeah, so, now, so you got, now you got no excuse to not yeah, watch it. You have to you have to watch it, and you can. It's on HBO Max. So this episode, of course, we'll be talking about uh, the very, very first episode of the Nanny. And with that... There will probably be conversations about production style, about... There's going to be... I think there will almost certainly be a conversation about set design because it radically changes from this episode to the next one. But uh, let's go ahead and crack on with the narrative of the show. Okay. The show opens in the bridal shop where Fran Fine, who is played by Fran Drescher, is working. She's she was working in a bridal shop in, in Flushing, in Flushing Queens. Queens, and her boyfriend, who is also the manager of the store, um, kicks her out in in just one of those crushing scenes. Yeah, uh, it's it's very quick. I mean, they establish it's shockingly quick. Very like. Val's there. They quickly establish like they've been in a relationship for. They say they're in pre-engagement. They've for the been past pre-engaged three years. for three years. Yeah. And then he's suddenly like, "Oh, I want to see other people." And like, when did you decide that? Like, when I saw yeah, the somebody, I, yeah. the back and forth between them is so succinctly written and is so funny. Like, it is it is a it is a sitcom breakup. It is a plot driven sitcom breakup yeah. rather than. You know, when Friends does a breakup, it happens at the end of an episode after a lot of things. This is just, here you are, we're, here you are, we're together. Oh, no, we're breaking up. And but the dialogue is so good. Yeah. There's never a line that isn't in use of something. Like, yeah. There's it's, never any bloat. There's there's no bloat. There's no fat. It is all meat. It is yes. This is a, a, a juicy steak of dialogue that is both uh, purpose-driven and comedy-driven. It is... Mwah, it is chef's kiss. It is <laughs> this first scene is and it ends with that fantastic joke. You can't fire me, Danny Imperiali. I quit. No, you fired me. That way I could collect unemployment. <laughs> Which is a, fa- a very good joke that does get called back later. But like, I want to take a minute 
to talk about how how quickly this show moves the pieces into this is what the nanny is about. Yeah. Because we get that we do get the opening title. We sequence. get the opening that immediately like like she gets kicked out on her fanny, which yes. I do I do want to stress because every time uh, we watch yeah. an episode and the opening happens and yeah. they say out on her fanny and Benjamin has that, to go. That word means something very different in the UK. I want to stress that in the UK we refer to the that, that's the vagina. The fanny is the word we use for the vagina, which is why fanny packs are called bum bags in England. That's a fun fact for you. So she's being thrown out on her vagina. Which, to your point, if you're thrown out on your ass like they meant in America, you are also thrown out on your vagina. Your vagina comes with. It's it's not it's a package. It's all deal. it all it all goes. She's out on all of it. Uh, every oh, she's <laughs> all of it's out. It's all it's out. Gone. So you get the title sequence, which... does spoil just the entire it does first ex- episode. It does spoil... Well, it does. It spoils the rest of Act 1. Yeah. Because I remember when, when I got you the DVD box set, one of the first things you did was you watched one of the... A couple of the documentaries or like the making of behind-the-scenes stuff. And they talk about how they want... They wanted Fran to be, like, working at the Sheffield's house and to have been hired as the nanny by the end of the first act break. Like, they... They wanted the premise to be kind of taken care of out of the way in the first, you know, five, six minutes. And they do that. Like, they do a really good job of, like I said, putting the pieces on the board. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the show, the rest of that first episode is basically, that's her first weekend on the job. And how does that play out? Which, Um, so, like, after the title sequence, she does show up at the house. She is a... uh, makeup salesperson she's working for an mlm she's giving yep. most of her money away to an mlm her instagram she's, she's is just her showing off shades to- of lipstick total hunbot yeah um, i do have to what is the name of the company oh it's has very not aged well it's very bad it's like shades of the orient or something to that effect yeah yeah that's what it is yeah well, uh, it's not good it's not I, I think there was a point in the 90s where where the word Orient was still considered acceptable, and it shouldn't have been. It is at the very least it's something that's just there. It's not commented on, yeah. and then through the season, like you see her little like the briefcase with it that yeah. just says it on there, but there's nothing else. But it's like the fact that it, on the one hand, yeah, you didn't draw attention to it, you didn't make it like there weren't further jokes of it. Yeah, but the fact that it's just there and so casually, like what the. Yeah. As we go through this, uh, because it's a 90s show, and I don't have a lot of faith that a lot of things will be handled well, so we'll try to give people a yes. uh, heads up uh, if yes. things are bad. There'll be con- I'll put content warnings at the top of episodes if we're ever t- talking about something that is yeah. sketchy. Especially if people are watching with yeah. us, because there's some sketchy shit, and I like it's throwing that needle between you don't want to throw the baby out with yeah. the bathwater, but when the baby is racist, you do kind of yell at it a little bit. You got to yell at a racist baby. <laughs> you yeah. got to yell at the racist baby. You, you pour out the racist water and you strain out the baby, and then you're holding this wet racist baby and you're asking the baby, please don't be so racist. For the love of God, please just be sensible. A normal baby. Be a normal baby. Why you got to be a racist baby? <laughs> What's the deal with this race? What's the deal with this so, racist baby? So anyway, yeah. uh, Fran is a racist baby hunbot. Yes. Um, and knocks on the Sheffield's door. Uh, she may also be a girl boss. She could be a girl boss. She does that. That's the, the, something they've talked about doing a remake thing. It was like, 
But how 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 many times is she going to wear a girl boss t-shirt? Because I really don't want... I don't want that. No. So she goes to the Sheffield's house. Because she's selling makeup door Selling door. makeup. The butler, Niles, immediately opens the door, thinks that she is there for the interview for the nanny. And she's immediately like, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's just, I, I'll, be, I'll be whatever nanny you want me to be. Also, I do want to stress this. The butler is played by the same actor, whose name I cannot recall off the top of my head right now. But it's played by the same actor who played... Professor Moriarty in those two holodeck episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. Of which you have watched one. I have watched one. And you haven't done the other one yet, but we'll get to it. We might watch it for yeah. for this. Is his name Ben Davis? Hey Google, who played the butler in The Nanny? Niles was played by Daniel Davis. Daniel Davis. I was very close. So the butler's played by Daniel Davis and he, he welcomes uh, Fran into the house and so, oh, I assume you're here for the nanny position. And she's there for it immediately. Oh, yeah. She's just like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then just like gets out some lipstick and just starts writing a resume. And then we cut to uh, Maxwell and, and Cece. Cece in his office. Now, at this point in the show, this is our introduction to Cece. And there's very much the implication of, and this kind of carries through later into the episode, that they might be romantically involved. Yeah, which is something, because I feel like later on, they make it a, like, a thing where Cece is solely pursuing Maxwell. Maxwell's never shown any yes. interest. This episode does lean more into like, maybe they might have- It might be mutual. Yeah, there yeah. might be a mutual thing. And so it's definitely less so of like a wild thing for her to be pursuing this. Yeah, but also very- a very, very succinctly explains her jealousy of of Fran once Fran comes on the scene and Fran's wearing these very ostentatious outfits and there's the red dress that she wears later at the, the mm-hmm. party. I mean, they don't even meet in like this intro yeah. thing. Like we just like, we see them, we see Niles. They establish very quickly that Niles does not like Cece. Niles does not they like Cece. They don't yet have like the like the hatred back and forth to each other. Um, Like Cece is still very, like you can get little hints of that she's little, uh, can uh, be a little like firecracker, but right now it's still very restrained at this point. Um, But it's again, all of our conversation with each other immediately established what those dynamics are. And it's interesting that almost all of Niles's jokes at Cece's expense are sexual but also involve maxwell have you noticed that like that she loves being taken in the library like that kind of thing it really does feel like the this first episode is going to length to establish a relationship of sorts between maxwell and cc that gets very rapidly kind of retconned i think like as of episode Mm -hmm. two i mean i wouldn't say retconned so much as just like Making it just very one-sided. Yeah. Because uh, I don't even know, like, I would also believe that they haven't had a relationship, but they're definitely, like, kind of... Maxwell is kind of doing that thing of, like, oh, yeah, I'll lean on you for uh, emotions, but I don't... I'm not ready for a relationship. Yeah. Like, he's that kind of fuckboy. Cool. Yes. <laughs> and this is also where we get to see the children. We start off with Brighton, who gets a great scene where he just comes in, having pretended to stab himself, and just falls down, pretends to die, and Fran immediately does not care. Just says, oh, do you have a pen? Because she's writing her her resume out in lipstick. And just like, yeah, just, do you have a pen? Like, it doesn't phase her. She's not phased by this. Yeah, which, and they do that through, like, she gets introduced to all three kids. Maggie, who's the oldest of the three, 
Uh, she's kind of shy and Fran is immediately like kind of doting to her and encouraging and like talking yeah. about how pretty her hair is and stuff like that. Oh boy, are you gorgeous. And look at that hair. You see, now you cannot get color like that from out of a bottle. No way. <laughs> and then Grace, who is the youngest, yes. is uh, talking about her therapy and her regression things. And Fran is like kind of snide to it, but very like very unfazed. Yeah, I think that a lot of the core elements of the kids are are there, but are very different from how we see them as the show progresses. Right, like I, I uh, Brighton is kind of the, he's kind of a sarcastic troublemaker. I think he's the, he's the character who is kind of the most firmly established of mm-hmm. the three kids. And then the youngest girl, is that Gracie? Yes. Yeah, her whole thing is, I'm in therapy. Like, there's not really a lot of character there beyond the idea of, like, Mm -hmm. she's a very young girl who's also in therapy. And she definitely, she's, of the three, I think she's the one who gets splashed out more in later yeah. episodes. Which I, I I feel like some part of it might also be like, she is literally the youngest. Yeah. And there's only so much that they can do with a child. Yeah. It's it's like the, um, who's the youngest on Malcolm in the Middle? The, the Dewey. Yeah. Who in er- very early episodes doesn't actually say a lot, but when he does, it's funny. And then as the cast gets older and he gets older and he's able to do more, they do more with the character. Yeah. Um, so you... And like, she's very much of like, every so often they'll just pan to her and like, they'll have a line yeah. for her. She has, she has, she has like the, the zinger at the end of the bit where mm-hmm. the thing that she says is the thing that kind of, you know, knocks the, the, the dominoes of laughter over that gets the audience going. Um, and we will be talking about the audience as well, because there's a lot of interesting production stuff on this show that is, yes. is worth discussing. And then there is... The oldest of the three, whose oh, yeah, name Maggie. is Maggie, thank you very much. I was blanking on her name. Um, who is very shy and kind of withdrawn in a way that I typically associate with Gracie later in the show. I mean, but a lot of this is, uh, if anything, this is how Fran gets defined as like an yeah. actually like good nanny yeah. and what she brings to the table in terms of a good thing that isn't just like hey she's this wacky sassy lady it's like she sees that maggie is very self-conscious and very unsure of herself and fran is so very encouraging yeah. of her and um as this episode goes on it kind of establishes that as like she wants to be here for this young young yeah. woman because she needs she needs that kind of and it's not necessarily like a maternal figure. Like she definitely like fits that place, but it's not yeah. even like, it's very much beca- being like an older sister less so than like a replacement mother. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Fran has these interactions with the kids, is not even slightly phased by it. Uh, it's very like down, but like, yeah, hire me. I didn't, I- Sure, this isn't what I came here for, but- Yeah, like uh, Maxwell kind of immediately figures out like she's not actually for this. She's yeah. like a cosmetics person, not who I went to hire. But gets a call from the nanny agency, which Fran, again, is immediately, she picks up the phone. She's ready to talk. She's like, no, I'm in the job. She's very gung-ho about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the nanny agency can't get anyone until Monday. Maxwell wants someone this weekend. And so... In desperation, in a, but 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 it's but a desperation that is played very kind of like he's trying to be nonchalant, like he's running his finger along the couch and kind of almost like that. The the, the, the twiddling tooth, your yeah, thumbs. Yeah. Do you have any experience with children? Are you kidding? I practically raised my sister's two kids when she was suing her chiropodist. Because he's clearly like this is his only option right now, so he's going to hire her, and so he does. And then act break. That's our first act break. Yeah. Like everything about the show 
Everything you need to set, again, put the pieces on the board happens in that first six minutes. It's very, very quick. It's very uh, immediate. It establishes and who I all even, of the characters are. I feel like in a newer show, like if that show was made today, that would be what they did in this first act break would have taken an entire It episode. would have taken an... I don't, this is the thing. I, I, again, I know that they were very keen to not stretch that premise out to the... Yeah, the way that if, it, if they did a reboot of it now... That would be the first full episode, and we wouldn't get that animated title sequence. That would be an episode two thing. Yeah. Um, but and everything that happened in the second ep, like they would have made that an entire episode, yeah. which I think is bad because this one it's very it's very quick. You immediately know yeah. who each of these characters are. Yeah, and so when we come back from the the first ad break, it's breakfast. Everyone is dressed, and you have Fran walking in in a dressing gown, very boisterously saying good morning, everyone, helping herself to the buffet, being told that oh, the last nanny, had, you know, took breakfast in the kitchen, saying she wasn't going to do that because it's antisocial, and pulling up a chair, and like she's immediately set, like she sticks out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. in the best way. Like she's very clearly, I don't want to say marking her territory because it's not. It's not a power play that she's doing. She's just yeah. being herself. Yeah, I think she's that's, like, I'm yeah. going to be like this. The visual about it, because of course she's in like this big fluffy robe and the pink slippers that they make a joke about. But it's the contrast between there's all of these very young children dressed up mm. very, very fancy for breakfast. And that's not a thing that any of us are used to seeing. And so Fran is actually the normal one mm. in, in this visual thing, even though like she sticks out like a sore thumb. But she sticks out in how normal she is. Yeah. And everything else is kind of weird. Yeah, because they're all made up for breakfast. They're very put together for breakfast. I've never seen anyone put together for breakfast. It, yeah. just, it doesn't happen. And they do. They seem to have an Amer- a very American breakfast. Yeah, it's very uh, bacon and eggs. And this is one I I did, I was watching everyone eating at the table and the adults are kind of, there's a certain amount of play acting and the actress playing Gracie's like, I'm going to take this whole egg and put it in my entire mouth <laughs> yeah. and no one she can just, stop like, has, me. She just has a knife and you can kind of <laughs> tell, be like, oh, you're too, like when you're eating dinner with your family, you're not allowed to have a knife. So you're very excited that you get to have a knife for this and you're stabbing at it. <laughs> it's, it, was, it's very, it was so much fun to watch the kids just kind of, just eating the set food. Yeah. Just very not, enthusiastically. Not giving, it was like, oh, well we have to do like eight takes like do i don't know takes? i want eggs yeah it's what show was it we were watching it was you were watching an episode of uh Jossip joe and they were having waffles for breakfast and they were the driest blandest most boring looking waffles like you they can tell those wa- s- that those waffles had been there for hours yeah and they weren't even like putting syrup on them or anything because they can't because they what if they have to do retakes yeah from there they established like the morning thing that fran has to get all the children out because Maxwell is preparing for a soiree in the evening, which kind of shows there's sort of a a family tension that Brighton is the one who kind of says of like, oh, dad doesn't care about us. Yeah, it's very, yeah, there's there's a party happening. The kids have already assumed that they're not invited to the party. Fran says, well, that's ridiculous. Your dad's having the party. We should... You know, let's go, let's go get you dresses. Mm-hmm. Like let's go let's go buy you nice outfits so you can look nice at this party. And when Fran kind of leaves to kind of go and get herself ready to, for the day, the kids kind of very briefly comment on that. Like, Dad is gonna hate this. Cece's going to totally freak. <laughs> Sounds like a party to me. <laughs> as far as they're concerned, this is just another like quick replacement that they're going to get. Yeah. They're so used to this behavior, not necessarily someone acting different, but someone. Not not staying with them long yeah there is a bit of like it's played for laugh but there is some hurt in these kids of 
our mom has died, our dad doesn't know how to deal with us, and is just throwing nannies our way. Yeah, and I think even we've kind of been a little glib about it, but I don't think anyone anywhere talking about the show has talked about how dark it is that the youngest daughter is seeing a therapist, and in several episodes, talks about, like, very specific, like therapy techniques that you typically reserve for people who maybe have undergone trauma childhood regression then the first episode she's regressing to her childhood and that's a fun joke because she's negative three years old <laughs> but that's something you that's something you do where there's like buried trauma that's it's wild to me yeah that's so that's bonkers and no one that's something that it's just used to like ha young girl therapy ha ha therapy's funny it's these, these very adult words coming out of this child's mouth but the adult but if words you, but if are, you know what those are yeah. like, oh this is just trauma it's trauma this, <laughs> this child has been traumated yeah and then even then like it doesn't have a great because the joke is oh she's going to therapy yeah. and not so much oh the joke is she has trauma i don't necessarily disagree with the the assumption that I think Brighton puts it out there of Maxwell doesn't know how to talk to her mm. so he just put her in therapy therapy huh it was a lot easier than talking to us directly all right that's it Brighton go to your room she could be fairly okay yeah but the fact is because her dad doesn't know and be like well I'm just gonna throw money at the problem yeah I think because he is the kind of sarcastic glib one of the three children Brighton is the one I think that speaks the most truth about their situation about oh well dad hires a therapist because it's easier than talking to Gracie himself dad hires someone else to raise his kids because he's he he, he doesn't want to have to do him like that, that I think there is a certain amount of cynicism there but I also think that's, that that speaks to the truth of the situation that, that Fran is inserting or has has inserted herself into mm -hmm. through sheer force of will yeah and it kind yeah. of that explains why no other no other nanny has necessarily lasted very long in here because that's too much it's too much to ask of a person to also be this actual parent to these yeah. children and if anything it's because fran is already breaking all of those rules and those boundaries and just kind of like putting herself in there and yeah. like i'm going to be like this that's why she works well in this yeah so we get a scene which back at the bridal shop we get back at the bridal shop with her friend val val yes yeah, sorry so her friend val best friend val this is kind of really where we get it established that that she and val are close friends they talk about the job she says photos she's already had photos developed of her boss <laughs> it is the 90s i when she said she had photos in my head i'm still expecting her to like pull out her smartphone <laughs> and start swiping it is 1990 stone age She's got this job, she's taken pictures, and then in the dead of night, she snuck away to get photos developed. She has not slept. Because she these photos, either that or there's a dark room in her bedroom at the at the uh, Maxwell residence. It's the Maxwell house, of course. Yeah. Uh, also, can we point out that, so, so Maxwell's last name is Sheffield. Yes. Which is a town in England. Yes. His, young, his son's name is Brighton. Which yeah. is a town in England. <laughs> so his, How far apart are Brighton and Sheffield? Uh, I am actually now going to look that up. Let me have a look. They are, if you were to drive, 230 miles away. It's it's almost a four-hour drive. Fuck. Yeah, there's a little bit... And that's saying something, because like, like, it's not that far getting around England. England's a very, very small country. Yeah, itty-bitty. The longest drive I've ever done in England was when, uh, when we drove to Cardiff in 2017. Uh, to go to the Doctor Who exhibit when I, I went back to visit family and then we drove to Cardiff and it was like two hours and change to get to and from Cardiff. So the fact that Br Brighton Sheffield is kind of like 
Brighton's down here and Sheffield's up here. It's it would be like someone being called San Diego Sacramento. That's the name. <laughs> That's what he named his child. Yeah. Perfect. And he knows better. Yeah. He should know better. He oh, should know better. Yeah. Anyway, so they're at the at the bridal salon and again establishing uh, Fran's relationship with Maggie mm-hmm. of definitely encouraging her. Like, yeah, she's like, oh, what's your favorite color she, dress? She says beige. And she's very, very withdrawn, which is very different from how we see her at any other point in the show. She's... No, we, like that that does kind of build throughout the first okay. season. Of she like has to kind of like come out of her shell. I feel yeah. like that's something that they kind of over the next few episodes yeah. they'll kind of build something to. They built they build Fran's influence through that first season. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. After that she's great. Yeah. Because she did one season one season and done. I only need one season to fix this child. They ask how Gracie's feeling and she's sitting with a giant wedding veil and saying that she's what is it, like dark and forlorn yeah, or something, something like that. To that effect. And Fran's like, Oh, you want a tic tac? <laughs> and the kid just very then super yeah. excited. It was like it's definitely kind of tough because there is some like anti-therapy things in yeah. it, which I'm not necessarily fond of. But Fran kind of shows that we don't necessarily have to pathologize everything that this yeah. kid does. Sometimes a kid just wants a tic-tac. Yeah. Something very nice in that switch from kind of, I don't want to say moody because that implies a, a certain like emo image. That That is not the case here. She's, mm-hmm. she's just a very kind of, she she she's not quiet, but she's small. Yeah, you know I get, what I, mean. I was probably about gracie's age when i watched the mm. show originally and so i probably related more toward like the adult characters like seeing friends stuff like yeah. that but looking back and be like oh i was a gracie child because again had a made-up anxiety that my parents would not like that i was watching this show based <laughs> yeah. on nothing there's no nothing for that but again like seeing the offer of the tic tac like flicks a switch not not like it's an immediate like nine day change that's not it's not like oh and then a tic tac was offered and that was the moment the Gracie was fixed for the entire six yeah. season one of the show no like but like she goes from being this very uh, like I said like a child saying very adult what with very adult words coming out of her mouth about therapy and regression and the offer of the tic tac just it's like oh now she's a child again like yeah. there's a child here and friend there are things that friend may be able to do that will kind of unlock the child Does yeah it's because she kind of sees the kids without the attachment without the base level of trauma that everyone else has of like oh yeah. their mom died she just sees a bunch of kids so it's like oh maggie's a teenager we gotta like show this girl how to be a young woman she gives her a whole pep speech about like oh you have to learn these things how to have that confidence out yeah. in the world and with grace she sees a child and yeah. Like, yeah this is a little girl so do you want to take her? And Brighton, she sees a dirty pervert. Brighton? Where's Brighton? Are these dummies anatomically correct? Why do you care? Is there something is there something at the end of that scene, or does it just transition away from them getting clothes to the There party? is the little bit where she says where she tells uh, Brighton to be nice to Maggie. Yes. Um, yeah, oh yeah, there's that there's the exchange where she she's telling him Hey, be nicer to your sister. Why? Because we're a family? Yes, that's right. And someday your father's gonna be old and sick. You're going to want him to live with her. Your family, so you want her to have the responsibility. Yeah, you want her to have to make up a house in her house for the inevitable spin-off. So then that's another thing, like, with Brighton. Like, again, Brighton's a very, like, sarcastic, deadpan kid. Yeah. Becomes the previous nanny got fired because he faked a suicide attempt. It was, like, very much like a joking kid. So he needs someone like Fran who can kind of, like, bounce off of him. Yeah. And just not take his stuff too far but 
not reacting with anger or everything of like not even punishing him just be like yeah whatever yeah <laughs> whatever kid yeah so we get that moment and then we cut back to the party yes the party's in party. just starting uh first thing that maxwell does is flirt a little bit with cc yeah like it's definitely like a flirtatious it's, yeah thing. you're very handsome kind of establishing that the nature of their romantic connection may be less one-sided than it appears in later episodes yeah and it's like at the very least like cc's not wrong because i feel like if you go in from any other episode it's like cc's diving into this thing and she has no chance but like no it makes sense after they've had this like if they've had this relationship for a while it would make sense that she is reading these signals yes justice Um, for cc yeah and <laughs> hashtag justice for CC. Fran calls from the from the top of the stairs. Well, and Niles comes and was like, "Oh, uh, the nanny has something to say to you." Mm. And Maxwell's like, "What?" And then then they show Fran, and she's in like this sequiny, uh, super tight, high cut. A uh, red gown. It's, it's a gorgeous gown. There's someone playing a piano off to the side, and then he starts playing the lady in red. Piano is under the stairs, so there's no way that he can see her. He, he's just, he's, <laughs> it's like coincidentally he's chosen to play this. Also, like, I don't know whether it was just the mix. It was very difficult to kind of pass the song he was playing, you know? Like the piano just for, it felt like he was singing the lady in red, but like just going clang, 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 clang. Which is just how it sounded to me. I'm sure someone who doesn't have auditory processing issues probably heard a song. A whole (laughs) song. But she comes down the stairs looking absolutely gorgeous. Maxwell comments on the fact that she she looks great. Uh, Cece's like, well, you didn't say that about me. So no, I said, uh, I did. Oh, but you said I looked handsome. I like the, I like the adjective handsome, but there's always a bit of like, oh, like you look nice, but you don't look beautiful. Mm. You look handsome. Handsome is one of those words that I think is like weirdly gendered. Yes. Um, I think people have this idea that the implication of calling a woman handsome is you have nice masculine features. Yeah. Or even like, even if you're putting it as a, you mean it as a positive, mm. I feel like that's also a way to like desexualize like, oh, you look nice, but not not yeah. in a way that I want you. Yeah. You're handsome, but not bonable. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Fran is beautiful. Yes. And like looks stu- like looks good because she's also very shiny and sequiny and she's immediately coming down and be like, the kids are ready to come down. And Maxwell's like, what? They're not invited to this party. This is an adult party. Um, and Fran's like, well, fuck that. Yeah. Because the kids just come down. <laughs> the kids just come down and uh, it's just copying the sound of music. It's just yeah. that bit from the sound of music. <laughs> um, Gracie is in her like big poofy dress and still like very much being a kid. And this time her little like acting like an adult statement is talking about how she got a great discount yes. on her dress. You like my party dress? Lowman, 70% off. <laughs> She'll never shop retail again. <laughs> Yeah, that, you're that, and that. so it's taking that it's again changing that bit where sometimes she's a little like precocious kid, and that's how they've been playing her personality. Yeah. But it's precocious in a way of like I got a discount, like you didn't pay for that dress. Yeah. But also in a way that like that family would never shop di- yeah. a discount. Like Fran even makes a joke like she'll never shop retail again. It's like yeah, she's never going to. She's never had to because she work. Well, her dad makes infinity money. Yeah. So this it's special. Then that's like, it's another another one of those examples of like the world that Fran comes from crashing sideways up the the Suez Canal of the Sheffield lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, and be like she's likely never had to. Th- 
think about yeah. how much her dress cost before. Yeah. And now she just knows this thing of like, oh, I could get this cheaper. Yeah. And then Brighton comes and he's in his, his nice little boy suit. It's very much, especially in kind of the body language that uh, Brighton has, it's very much, he's kind of mirroring his father in a way. It's the same kind of blazer, mm-hmm. the same cut, the same tie. Even some of his, like when, when he does, I'm have to say, Child actors are is you child actors are very very hit and miss. But something about the way that Brighton presents himself in this moment is very much like, oh, I'm being dad. I'm mirroring yeah. dad, and it's it was such a it was very small like body language stuff, but it works so well. Yeah, he's a very good child. I I've looked him up before, and apparently he was like a professional dancer, mm. like like a child dancer, and so that kind of makes clear why he's able to do a lot of like yeah. f- physical things as well, and kind of knows knows his like place yeah whenever he's doing something that kind of matches his it's not just the witty one-liners that he's being fed like gracie is a lot younger so it's kind of she gets these nice little uh, something but it's a very quick one line it's the zinger yeah yeah and uh brighton being just like a, a few years older and having that kind of dance practice thing so everything he's embodying all of his lines yeah. so it feels like something that he is saying and not necessarily a line that's been fed yeah. to him and then there's a great moment of Maxwell being proud of him and then immediately patting him down to make sure that he's... <laughs> it's very it. kind of patting him on the shoulder and then quickly going down to, like, yeah. make sure he doesn't have any, like, secreted blades. And then uh, Maggie comes down and she's in uh, this very... It's very pretty. It's very, like, early 90s. It is the most early mm. 90s dress of, like... Uh, I, I want to say it's, like, a black velvet, maybe? Or it's mm. definitely, like, all black down and then the top has this kind of, like ruched off shoulder thing yeah it's very big and she got like the big swoop it's like super super 90s and not even a bad thing yeah. but it's just kind of like it is so of its time yeah it's especially with like the the majority black dress with the blue swishes on the top she's she as, as i'm sure you can probably tell she works on the science division in starfleet um <laughs> in their their formal gown division so that's what she would wear working in in the science labs yeah. on the and Enterprise. Maxwell is very stunned. He's like, oh, uh, she looks so much like her mother. And she's definitely older than what she's playing. Yeah. She's supposed to be 14 at this time. And she would definitely like, I mean, the earliest, I would say 17, 18. Yeah. But this very much emphasizes like, oh, she is a young, she's a young woman. Yeah. And Maxwell is feeling guilty. He's about to kick him uh, back all upstairs. Uh, but then the party goers are like, hey, the children are here. Get photos and stuff. And so Maxwell introduces uh, his children. He says, like, oh, the the best productions I've made. Because I don't think we've mentioned this. He's supposed to be, like, a theater producer. It, it's touched on a little bit in that first scene in The Office. Mm-hmm. But it's because he's talking about actors that they want to cast. Yeah. But it's not. This is the first time it's kind of overtly. It's even the first time it's overtly mentioned that this party is for fundraising purposes. Yeah. For for his next productions to get investors. They, uh, Fran goes to take a picture. Maxwell kind of is like, no, don't do that. Some guy comes over and puts a check in his pocket and he's like, okay, big smiles, everyone. Yeah, it's like having having children, having these cute children to parade around. Yeah. That works great for parties. Yeah. And it wasn't something that he was thinking about of just kind of like, here's the adult party. So it ends up being a dual benefit yeah. to him. It's a boon to have the kids there yeah. just from a fundraising perspective. And so after the party, Fran is very like confident about him. But like, see, wasn't it great having the kids here? Maxwell is also happy because he got his funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes into his office, and then we see Maggie smooching up on 
uh, just a, a young uh, actor. Uh, Jimmy something. Jimmy. Right? Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy Marsden. Jimmy James, Marsden. James Marsden. James Jimothy Marsden. James Sonic the Hedgehog Marsden. <laughs> James, he of X-Men fame. He who married he Liz Lemon. He had X. That's Maggie's snug in an X-Man. X-Man. I mean, he's Cyclops, so yeah. not a not a great one. Not, but... in, the, not in the films, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she's smooching up. Uh, Maxwell goes to put the check away, sees they're smooching, kicks out Jimmy Marston, who uh, we did see briefly in the previous scene uh, as a like a server waiter person. Yeah, it just kind of like very briefly, but you have to like know that he's there. Yeah. But this time when they do it, it's like close on him. But he's not like this is pre him doing anything. Again, yeah. he is credited as Jimmy Marston. Jimmy Marston, yes. Um, so just an an early star. It's like when I, I remember doing a rewatch of uh, Angel, the Buffy spinoff, and seeing Jeremy Renner in like the first <laughs> half of the first season. It's like, wow, what are you doing here, Jeremy? Hawkeye? What? So a uh, complete 180. Uh, Maxwell is furious. So angry with uh, Fran. Comes out. Uh, kicks him out. Uh, Maggie's like yelling. Fran asks, what's going on? That, that boy was mauling her on the balcony. It was just a kiss. He kissed you? Yeah. <laughs> Your first kiss, that's so exciting. <gasps> Let me get the camera. Fran is ecstatic. Fran's so, so happy for She's her. like, she wants to take a picture. Yeah. Of just, of, what was the picture? It was just Maggie just by just herself. Just being there, Just yeah. being like, thumbs up, yeah. But but Maxwell is is. He's so angry. And he's and... immediately, like, uh, originally, he was like, oh, she's so beautiful. She looks so much like her mother. She's so grown up. And from there, he's like, wipe off that makeup. Go upstairs. And, like, turning everything against her yeah. when she was feel like she was finally feeling so confident about herself yeah, and, like, so joyous. And he keeps saying, she's a little girl. And Fran's like, no, she's a young woman. Yeah. You, you literally he, acknowledge he, this, he, like. He turns on Fran and was yeah. like, you caused this. This is all your fault. And like, no, she's. She's a teenager. Yeah. Like she did. Like what she did was fine. She's grow. Like she's yeah. growing up. You have to accept that. Uh, and and he thanks her for her opinion and fires her. You can't fire me, Maxwell Sheffield. I quit. No, you fired me. That way I could collect unemployment. The difference being when she was she was when her boyfriend fired her from the bridal shop. She was storming out in defiance. When she's saying the uh, that way I can collect unemployment line, like she's, she's holding back, she's tears. holding back tears, like and it's still played for laughs. Like her performance is still, it's a funny holding back yeah. tears, but it's it's night and day. We cut back to Maxwell in his office. Uh, Niles brings uh, him a sandwich, yeah. which uh, Maxwell has not heard of a sandwich and asks, like, what is this, Niles? I'm like, I believe Miss Fine calls it a light nosh. Which is, you're like, you stupid. know what it is. We know, we know what a sandwich is. It's named after one of our earls, Maxwell. What, what, what? You've never had a sandwich? It's a sandwich. It is a sanded witch. I, I think, I think, I, in his defense, I think specifically what he's asking about is the idea of taking like the cold cuts from like the, le like the leftovers yeah. from the party and just mm, making yeah, something yeah, with leftovers. Fair. I think that that's what that's it's referring probably to. probably what it is. But it is so weird because there's yeah. nothing to really like signify yes. that this is just like, yeah, yeah, putting like, he's so rich that he's never like yeah. thought about making leftovers yeah. out of the, your, the rest of your party. Because you'd just probably just throw it away or that would be what the, the help would end up eating for dinner that night, yeah. probably. Um, but Maxwell, after he gets the food, he's like, delicious. Miss Fine, eh? Yes, sir. Just what you needed. And any other show would have just been like, 
mm, let's let let's let Maxwell ruminate on this line. But instead, Maxwell goes, "You weren't talking about the sandwich, were you?" And Niles <laughs> goes, "Nope," and nope. leaves the room. Gotta make sure Just, you know. This is probably the like the only bit where it's like we didn't we didn't like we, we didn't trust that our audience would get it. And because there's so much to the rest of it, they've been getting it. But, like everything's been really quick. This is like we gotta nail it down three times. This bit feels like not the writing team, not any of the production. This feels like producers at the network saying we don't think our audience will get it. Because the thing, it, the the bit it reminded me of is it reminded me of the American pilot for the IT crowd, which had Joel McHale as uh, Roy and Richard Ayoade was still playing Moss. But when they do, have you seen the first episode of the IT crowd, right? The bit when they're in, when they're in his office talk, and the, uh, and they're about to tell the boss that Jen's, Jen's not working out. And he keeps going on about team, the A team, you know, I love it in team, work together as a team. If you can't do it as a team, you're like that, that all that exchange in the American pilot, once they leave the room, he then calls the security team back and goes, hey, uh, disregard that last call. I was just trying to keep the IT team on their toes. Like, no, let it be silly. Let it be yeah. daft and dumb. Let the audience just have that. You don't, if it felt like, that felt like a, produ- a, 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 a network note, not yeah. a, a writing choice that the production made. Mm-hmm. Um, but we uh, immediately cut to Fran back at her mum's house, uh, mum's apartment, little two bedroom apartment, all the, Furniture's covered in yeah, plastic. Yeah, uh, mom's offering her uh, food, and Fran's talking about like food doesn't solve anything. Uh, uh, Sylvia, Fran's mom, uh, makes a proclamation of like passion goes, sex goes, communication we never had, <laughs> but food is forever. Which is wild to me because the food she's offering is Malamars. Now, what is a Malamar? I don't know. I d- let's g- hey Google. I what- think I think it's a chocolate covered marshmallow. I th- that sounds like what it is. Hey Google, what is a Malamar? On the website definitions.net, they say Malamar, a dark chocolate coated marshmallow. Yes, there we go. A dark chocolate covered marshmallow. Chocolate coated marshmallow. Um, we're just offering food and uh, Fran's just sulking on the couch, which I mean it makes sense. She's lost her relationship and her job, and she was kind of just like gung-ho about that keeping on her toes and then immediately she gets something good and immediately gets pulled out from under her so i i imagine like now like everything just kind of coming back to her because she's feeling about the fact that she's 29 which they she tells niles that she's 29 and then niles makes a joke about it of like you're not 29 but they do later just keep on that she's she's but she's 29 for six seasons yeah um no they she does age Oh yeah, because she's just... gonna she's gonna this season like have her thirtieth birthday. Oh, oh yeah. But it's okay. something of like, but I mean, maybe she is just doing her just her thirtieth birthday and just gonna keep having a thirtieth birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a knock at the door, and it's Mr. Sheffield. It's Maxwell, and he's just oh, I'm just here to return the last of your things. You don't do that. You have people, Maxwell. You got people for that. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is pretense, my guy. This is this is you making an excuse to come and see Fran because the conversation they have is maybe we should le- we should learn to respect each other's differences and maybe you should come back and work for me. And that conversation happens. Sylvia takes a photo of the two, which shows us where Fran gets it. Yeah. And then that's kind of that's the episode. Isn't yeah, it? that's yeah. the episode. That's that first episode. And I think one of the hardest things to do when because we are talking about a sitcom. I don't want to sit here and like pick apart every single joke that happens on the show unless it is like plot relevant or there's an interesting, you know, it's one of those things where, oh, well, you can do different Or it's horribly it. racist. Or it's horribly <laughs> racist. But I think one of the things I, I, I'm very 
cognizant of is I don't want to try to kill the jokes by disassembling yeah. them. Like when I was a kid, I had a Buzz Lightyear action figure, and after six months, I thought I wanted to figure out how this thing works, and I took it apart, and it didn't work anymore. No. Because turns out that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that with a Phillips head screwdriver taking apart your Buzz. You're not supposed to do it. But I do want to talk about the way that just how this show is so smart in the way that the characters interact with each other in the the kind of setup and payoff of jokes i love the fact that one of the main things that i learned when we were watching those those documentaries on the dvd is how they were kind of very deliberately trying to evoke the feeling of sitcoms from like the the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. so kind of the stuff that would would have been on at nick at night at the time and yeah. where the nanny was for a while as well in the <laughs> in the 2010s like the nanny ran on nick at night yeah because it was that kind of show there's a wonderful back and forth that you get with a lot of older american sitcoms but for a quote modern audience which is what that audience would have been in the 90s now now they're all 50 but or they're us. <laughs> but I, I love that they they were going for that feel, but with that contemporary for the time edge. There are times, and I don't want this to sound like oh, British television is so much better than American television, because um, you don't need to say it because we know it's true. But there are times where the dialogue in the nanny feels not like it was a writer's room, but where it, like it was written by one or two dedicated like a dedicated writer mm-hmm. who has been honing their craft and it hasn't been like committed to death. Yeah. The the dialogue exchanges feel like as we mentioned at the, about that the the, the 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 cold open where she gets fired and dumped. Like that's a very lean scene in the sense of like Every line of dialogue serves a purpose. Yeah. Which, uh, so Fran Drescher was the writer for this episode. Yeah. Uh, and they talked about, so this whole series, they went wanting to pitch something specifically. They felt that they needed to pitch something for her specifically. Yeah. Like, oh, if I try to go out and like audition for something, it's not going to be right for me. So this is very much something of, like built around her as the idea. And so... I feel like that's why a lot of it feels so tight and uh, meant for that because it was, it was specifically made for her. It was a vehicle for, for Fran Drescher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the jokes are sharp and funny and they, the performances are so good. Like there are a couple of things in terms of production. That I think we should, we should also address. First thing is the sets, are, the set for the house is backwards. Like yeah. the front it's door. It's so weird the first goings you never yeah. feel like that again the front door is on the left for the rest of the show it's on the right the stairs are to the left of the front door for the rest of the show they're to the right of the front door they just kind of move that whole front of the house section over to the other side which i also I it makes it feel much more it feels bigger and more open in the later bits like this yeah. feels like very cramped it's very claustrophobic like, i'm i remember and when we had watched an episode, and it's the episode we we will get to it in a few episodes time, where Dan Aykroyd makes his cameo at the end, and the the credits are rolling over the the, the for want of a better word, the curtain call at the end, where where Fran Drescher is uh, announcing Dan Aykroyd to the audience, and you get a real sense of how small that kitchen set yeah. is. That you don't feel that watching this. Like it, I, this set, de- I think, definitely feels smaller than the set that they use for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. But there is still a sense of size and yeah, scale. Yeah, you, you can tell immediately. Like, oh, this is a grand. Like they got yeah. money. Yeah, and and a couple of other production things. Firstly, there's the studio audience. If for those of you who may not be aware of this. Fran Drescher wanted to vet the audience because she had a stalker around this time or prior to the production of the, mm-hmm. of the nanny. She was scared of, of this stalker or someone else coming to a taping. 
So it was very important to her that the audience was kind of vetted. And that kind of reinvented the way that studio audiences happen for some sitcoms, yeah. happen for game shows, where instead of just like, here's a ticket, come and see your show being taped, they would cast yeah, from like... they were considered extras. Yeah, and I, I, that's a job I've done. Like, I did that. There was, <laughs> there was a Spelling Bee meets Wipeout show that was hosted by the guy... Who, who played Carlton in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air called Spellmageddon. And not a great show, uh, but I was in the audience for that for <laughs> an episode and it taped all day. Wow. Because rather than try to fill those seats with people, they're like, well, we'll just hire. Yeah. But that started with the nanny. That mm. started with, the, with, with Fran Drescher wanting to avoid her stalker getting access to the, the studio set, mm -hmm. which I ab absolutely completely understand that justification, but it reinvented the yeah. way studio audiences were done. And there's also, you have something about like the, the way that it's filmed. I know yes. So one of the things I find interesting is most American sitcoms are shot on film. They are shot at 24 frames or 30 frames. You look at things like other, sh other contemporary shows of the time, like Frasier and Friends and another third show that doesn't begin with the letter F. Like, you are usually looking at a show that has been shot Fraggle on... Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, yes, thank you. <laughs> you are usually looking at a show that has been shot on film and looks like it's been shot on film. It has a kind of more filmic look to it. The, the, and you can tell because, you know, the, the motion isn't necessarily as fluid. This looks like it was shot on tape. Um, Which it was. Yes. Just that up. It was shot on tape at 60 frames, the same way that a soap would have been mm -hmm. shot on. And... That's unusual for American sitcoms because they are usually shot, they would either be shot on film or now they're shot digitally, but at 24 frames. Mm -hmm. This was shot at 60 frames. What do you think that that adds to it? I, 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 in terms of production, I mean, it's visually, it stands out from other sitcoms, mm -hmm. but I also feel like when it comes to film, that having it at 24 frames kind of creates a, a kind of a layer of separation for the audience. Like you are aware of, I am watching a TV show. I'm watching a movie. Mm -hmm. It's like comparing the Hobbit, like comparing the, the 24 frames version of the Hobbit to the, the 48 version where it, it has that soap opera effect where it looks, it doesn't look yeah. real because it's shot at a more realistic frame rate and re removing that, that barrier of the 24 frames removes that barrier from the audience. So it feels, it feels more real in a way that other shows don't, even though it's probably, I would say that The Nanny is slightly more absurd than something like yeah. Frasier, like Friends, like Fraggle Rock. Mm -hmm. um, it's so not like, it, I would almost say that it's a way to kind of take the absurdity and make it seem like, yeah, that's something I'd see in real life. Yeah, you can crank it up. <laughs> like I think the only other shows that I can think of at that time that would have been broadcasting at 60 I mean, there probably were others that maybe we just didn't get them in the UK or maybe they were down-converted down to 30 for international broadcast. But like SNL, for example, Saturday Night Live is almost always broadcast at 60. Mm -hmm. So it's like watching a skit on SNL. Now, particularly, like, one of the things, that the biggest impact on comedy that The Office had, both the American version and the British version, is the move to from a, the, the, a three-camera setup to a single-camera setup. So now, mm -hmm. having something that looks filmic is the standard the nanny is kind of very much stepping away from that uh, or may maybe was one of the last comedies that wasn't something like snl which ostensibly broadcasts live even though it really doesn't that i can think of that was shooting on tape 
Mm-hmm. Like there's never this show's never going to get remastered for high definition. No. It's never going to get a Blu-ray release. But in the same way that classic Doctor don't, Who, don't don't complain about HBO Max. Like oh, it looks so bad. It Here's looks so not- bad. Yeah, there's that you can't. You can do. You can't remaster this in the same way that you can remaster Friends. That you can remaster Frasier. You know because those shows shot at twenty four. They shot on film and film. You can scale that up as much as you like. Video. You've got the you know, 400-some lines or, or whatever it is that the, the resolution that they should have, that's all you've got. You stretch that up. All you do is make the lines thicker. You yeah. don't you don't get more detail by zooming in. So that's something that I find interesting. And it was probably a cost-saving measure mm-hmm. rather than a... Like an intentional... It, yeah, I don't think it was a stylistic choice. I think it was probably a way of, here's how we can squeeze every penny out of shooting the show. And I think it works in the show's favour because, again, I do think, like I said, I think it removes that barrier between the audience and, and what is happening on the screen. Yeah. But the big question, first episode, the pilot, aka the nanny, did you like it? Is it a good episode or a bad episode? Yeah, I think it's a very good episode. It was actually uh watching it now, rewatching it as an adult. It's actually the first time I've seen the pilot because again mm. I've only ever watched like random episodes in syndication and they weren't the pilot. So seeing it and seeing how quickly they establish it of these characters are all still recognizable yeah. from where they begin. Like there's some there's some change and there's some development, but they establish these characters very quickly. They establish the story very quickly. And it's, you're in immediately. Yeah, the, you you immediately, from that first scene, you get an idea of the type of hyper-real sitcom world that you are about to enter. And again, again, it's it's really tight. Every line serves the narrative. There's no waste. There's no padding. There's me, Ben Padden, but I'm not in the show. So it's fine. I also really enjoyed it. I, enjoy, I, I again, like how quickly that the the pieces get put on the board how uh, efficiently the main story of like Fran's first day just kind of kicks off i i think i went into this and i can't remember if it's because i remember the first episode or not but i expected her to get fired and rehired by the end of the episode but i think it's handled in a way that feels it doesn't feel like oh we're trying to check off lists on yeah it's it's also it's very quick but it yeah. never feels rushed yeah that's something on there like they're packing so much into a half hour that again if this were uh, something made now it would probably be two episodes it would be two episodes almost certainly uh, yeah but it always feels like because of how well they're using the dialogue between characters that it feels like they get the most yeah. between each other and it feels like you have that rest to kind of establish relationships when yeah. you really don't they are rushing through everything yeah it's pretty great yeah i like the episode uh, i think it's a solid solid start for the show and uh, I think if you are just starting to watch The Nanny on HBO Max, I think this is probably a really solid uh, kickoff, yeah. particularly if you've never seen the show before. Yeah. I mean, if it was a bad one, then all you'd have to do is like, we'll just watch the opening. Just watch it, the fir- it spoils yeah. the entire thing. Go to the first act break, uh, watch up to the first act break and then stop watching. But you don't have to. You can watch the whole thing. It's thoroughly yeah. enjoyable. So, what is the next episode? In the next episode, Brighton is caught smoking at school and reveals that he actually likes his new nanny. Ooh. Join us next time for episode two, 
Smoke gets in your lies. Join us then. Thank you very much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, there will be more of it. We're going to do more than one episode of this podcast about the nanny. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, do tell your friends about the show. Tweet about us. Teeny tiny podcasts like this live and die by word of mouth. So if you are enjoying what you like, do please let the world know. You can leave a positive review for us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting platform you acquired this from that allows you to make reviews. Some of them do, some of them don't. Uh, Mandy, where can people find you on social media? I am at Mandy Quesadilla. And I am at Ben Padden. Thank you for listening to Out on Her Fanny, a podcast about the nanny. And we do know it, it means, means vagina. vagina.